A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope everything is good with you and yours wherever you are. Thanks for being here as always. It's still very, very, very quiet when it comes to Arsenal news. We've had the Euros to distract us, but now we're into the, the later stages or at least heading towards the later stages of the knockout rounds. The football is less frequent, so we're less distracted. So now we're looking for some Arsenal shit to start happening, for some stuff to, you know, go down and that and what have you and so on and so forth. You know, players coming in and players leaving and, yeah, well, I mean, that's basically it. Players coming and players going. So far, there's been little or no movement. Uh, a few young guys have, have gone on loan. A few young guys have gone permanently, but there hasn't been anything at the time of recording anyway, which is Thursday afternoon, official uh, in terms of in terms of uh, signings, even if a few or a couple of names are reported to be quite close. But look, when the signings happen, we will be doing stuff. We'll be talking about them on the podcast. We'll be talking about them, uh, doing some uh, profile podcasts on Patreon as well for our Patreon members. Uh, but until such time as that kind of stuff happens, there isn't a lot going on. So for now, we're just going to shoot the Arsenal breeze a little bit, a few bits and pieces happening. I think the big news, of course, is that the Arsenal women's team have appointed a new manager, an interesting appointment, not simply because of the uh, the profile of the man himself, but also the process that was undertaken to find him. So to talk about that and the few bits and bobs of Arsenal transfer news and speculation that's going around, uh, who better than Tim Stillman? Hello, Tim. Hello there. So... Jonas Edeval, what what do you make of his appointment? You spoke to him briefly during the week. There was a piece on Arsbog News, of course. He's uh, doing the rounds and doing the interviews and what have you. But in terms of uh, the new manager of the Arsenal women's team, um, what what do you make of his appointment? Yeah, it's first of all, it's, as I kind of predicted, very very closely guarded. Pretty much nobody knew um, who it'd be until the the announcement was made. I think only Jackie Oatley got it a couple of hours before. That's kind of how um, how closely guarded it was as a as a recruitment process. In terms of um, his actual appointment, um, a surprise, albeit and and not an unpleasant surprise, I should say, <laughs> um, but albeit pretty much anyone in uh, that you are, that you appoint in the women's game is going to be a bit of a surprise because we're just not at the stage where we have those super coaches anymore that there aren't really any in women's football so Joe Montemoro was a surprise Pedro Loza was a surprise Gareth Taylor at Manchester City was a surprise there aren't really straightforward appointments in terms of um, what I think of it um, knowing you know not that much about Jonas as yet although I've been doing some reading this week 
Um, I'm I'm quite enthused by it. I I feel like it's it's quite a good fit. There were some traps that Arsenal could have fallen into in this process. Now, like, like I said, there aren't mm. really super coaches in women's football. There are coaches who obviously coach very very good teams, but. Actually, I'm not that convinced any of them are brilliant coaches. Even Emma Hayes at Chelsea, who who is a really good coach, but when Chelsea's budget was lower, they were finishing a lot lower in the table. So I don't think she's quite the super coach people make her out to be, per se. Mm. But but there were some... My, my fear at the outset of the process was how much women's football knowledge is there going into this process and there were some traps they could have fallen into there are some quite high-profile high coaches who are out of work at the moment who like I said I'm not convinced are actually brilliant coaches I think they just coach brilliant teams so Leon lost their coach um, they sacked him because they always sack their coaches um, Paris Saint-Germain's coach uh, has left Barcelona's coach has left uh, Wolfsburg's coach left mm. and then there was also Jill Ellis who used to manage um, the US women's national team where she won two World Cups but nobody likes her because they don't think she's a very good coach <laughs> so there, there were some easy things they could have done here um, that, that actually I don't think would have been very good appointments. So for them to go for someone quite left field, I think is quite encouraging. They've gone for um, a guy who's worked his whole career in Sweden, but, you know, 38, been a coach since his mid-20s. Um, and, and I think kind of crucially, that there are some notable things he said, not just to me, but to others. Like he obviously had his kind of lines cleared, but he, he broached straight away the is- some of the issues that Arsenal had um, in the last couple of seasons around injuries around t- uh, playing teams who who play a high press and mm. he kind of broached those up front and I imagine they were big interview questions um, but the other quite interesting thing about him is even though he has a record of playing attacking football um, which is absolutely what a club like Arsenal need um, because they're trying to win the league so you need to be an attacking team as we've been over the last few years is actually his approach so in terms of tactically, not miles different from Joe, which makes sense because this is Joe's squad. There mm. is no point in getting someone who will do something completely different with it. But his approach in terms of um, his personality, I mean, he said without being asked in the press conference, I am very direct. Um, and that's what I've been told about him. I've been told even by the standards of your average Swede, who I've always found Swedish people to be, um, you know, to be quite direct, um, pleasantly so, yeah. um, I should say. But he, he, he is apparently someone who, who doesn't mince his words, both on the training ground, um, on the sidelines. I'm told that he often um, gets into trouble with fourth officials and stuff like that. And that's very different to Joe, who, who had a much more kind of personable um, approach. So it would be really interesting to see how that plays out with, uh, with the players in particular. Yeah, also interesting to see how it plays out with with the club as well, that maybe, you know, the idea that there is some internal conflict is the wrong word, but challenging uh, environments can be very productive environments, you know, so that's, that's certainly an interesting aspect to it. And, you know, broadening it out just a little bit, you know, we're sitting here and it's stuff we've talked about and and everybody is looking at Arsenal uh, this summer to see what we're going to do and that what, what happens with the men's team, obviously, is the, the most important thing for most people who are listening to this. Um, mm-hmm. But we're looking at a football club with a very young manager, with a very young 
chief executive with a very young head of football, a relatively young um, new guy, Richard Garlick, who's come in. He's relatively young as well. Uh, and, you know, Josh Cronkey, I suppose, as well, if you add him to the mix, still pretty young, you know, in their uh, late 30s, early 40s. There's a, a measure of inexperience there at administrative, at ex- uh, executive level, whatever you want to call it, right? So we mm. are... Uh, as fans looking for the club to get back to where it's uh, where it wants to get to, we're sort of in the dark about the efficacy of of their work or how good they might be or or what have you. So, little things like this provide you with some encouragement. Um, yeah. It's not to say you know that. Uh, this has proved them to be perfectly uh, capable of taking the club back to the big time. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that when you look at an appointment like this, like you say, they could have taken an easy option. They could have just given the job to an experienced head and said, look, come in, do it, blah, blah, blah. But they've obviously gone through a process. And Vin, I spoke about this on the Arsenal website, and it's there for people to read if they want to read it. Do you, as you sit here and wait for them to put everything right all over the club, find this in some way uh, encouraging or a positive way that they're 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 doing things? Um, I suppose you could tie it into the Arteta appointment uh, appointment itself uh, in some ways, but they're they're trying to do things in a way which is maybe a bit smart, a bit clever, a bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you get that sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, I do, and and not just with the managerial appointment, which again I, I don't know enough about Jonas to say this is brilliant. It will definitely work, but I can see the thinking. But um, I guess why don't I talk a little bit about the um, internal review, which yeah. uh, which Finn I spoke about um, of the women, which has been going on since last summer. Now the. Now, I, I'm quite enthused by um, quite a bit of this. Now, there there were two big questions, I think, over the women's team. I, I think a lot of it has been misreported and misunderstood by, frankly, people who I think should know better, who have looked at things very, very surface level. There's a lot of stuff flying around about Arsenal women falling behind Manchester City and Chelsea in terms of playing squad. Like, I, I, I'm not fucking having that for one second. In terms of playing personnel... Arsenal are absolutely up there, definitely with Manchester City. To be fair, they're probably slightly behind Chelsea in that respect, and so are Manchester City, just Mm. because of the size of the Chelsea squad. Arsenal have the same size squad as Manchester City, absolutely. Again, people should be able to count, but apparently can't. Um, (laughs) The first team squads are listed. You can count them. They are the same size. Arsenal squad has looked smaller because of injuries. So in terms of playing personnel, I don't think Arsenal have dropped the ball at all on the women's side. I think that is a squad that should be competing to win the league as it is. Um, and I'm quite enthused about some of the moves I'm hearing about this summer mm. as well. The, the the two questions they were really facing are how much will you, and and so also in terms of funding they are nowhere near as far behind as people are making out. They're a bit behind Chelsea who've turned the dial up the last couple of years. They're slightly behind Manchester City, but not much. The question facing them is not what is happening now, it's what's going to happen. So the the question is kind of, but how much are you going to raise the funding? Because Chelsea have raised it a bit and they've made it very clear they are happy to keep doing that. We know Manchester City are going to respond in kind as well. We know that. So the question is, 
are you what are you going to do next are you going are you going to be prepared to keep up with that now the noises i was hearing during last season and um the, you know these weren't from real like i don't speak to players about um stuff like this so yeah um it was a bit more anecdotal but the kind of some of the responses i was hearing were like well we're not going to drop the funding um, which kind of means, no, we're not going to raise the funding. Now, in this communication that, that Vinay and Arsenal have done earlier this week, they have said specifically they are going to raise the funding. The other key thing here is, and we ran a story on this on our blog News, Arsenal have also separated out the accounts for the women's team. Mm. Um, and they just posted the 2019-20 accounts. Now, they don't have to do that. They, they are under no obligation to do that. So now... Whereas we before we could just see the number. So basically Arsenal write a check every year for their women's team. And it says in the accounts, we've put this much in. We don't expect it back. Um, And that was pretty much all we got. Now we get the size of the staff, the wage bill, player registration fees, amortization fees, all of it. So there's an extra layer of transparency. They didn't have to do that. Now I'm, I, I, don't I don't think they would do that if they were planning to like level the funding or, mm. or cut the funding or anything like that because there's a layer of transparency there. Um, but what what the accounts kind of reveal is for me that Arsenal fell behind on the marginal gains, not on the playing side. And from what I hear this summer, they're not going to fall behind on the playing side either. It's more to do with the size of the staff. So if you look at the 1920 accounts, Arsenal have, and you know, bear in mind this is over a year ago, Arsenal have like 35 full-time staff list, listed or something like that, and Chelsea have over 50. That is where Arsenal lost their edge. Mm. And you can see that on the pitch with things like injuries. So Arsenal had a ton of injuries over the last couple of years. And we spoke about that a bit on the last podcast. And and Vinay confirmed some of the things I said on that podcast about, um, you know, the medical side really beefing up the sports science side. They've got a full-time nutritionist now. Before they were kind of working with contractors in that area. They've got full-time psychologists now. Um, and I, so that, I, sorry to cut across here. Are these yeah, sure. specific to the women's team? Because he, uh, Vinay says, we're bringing on board a new head of sports medicine and sports science. We've increased yeah. the staff in the medical team. We've brought on board a nutritionist. We've created a, a new individual development coach role, more operation staff. So are these things um, uh, specific to the women's team and the women's setup? Yes, yes. Okay. And that is exactly where they lost the edge. They did not lose the edge on players. Um, they lost the edge on on staff, and just the, the numbers show you that. And Manchester City have obviously got the Etihad campus and have probably got the best one. Well, I don't think there's any probably about it. They have the best facilities of any women's team in the world. Um, so, like that, to me is where Arsenal lost their edge on things like it. Basically, if Arsenal didn't have all those injuries over the last couple of years, I think they'd have won at least one more trophy, uh, one more major trophy. So. Mm. This is where they lost the edge, and that is what they've looked to address. Now, I should kind of, um, you know, I, I should say, like, we shouldn't just have a massive party about this yet because a lot of players will show you that they're in a kind of a bit of a holding pattern at the moment. They're in a wait and see kind of area. So Leah Williamson extended her contract, but only by 12 months. Vivian Miedema's contract runs out next year, and I think she's made it clear that she's got no plans to extend at this point. Jordan Nobbs's contract runs out next summer. If the, all of these players leave, you will know that this review has been um, built on sand. If they stay, 
you know they mean business. Now, there might be fluctuations within that. I think Vivian Miedema will probably leave anyway, um, to be quite frank. But mm. um, I think you could look at someone like Leah and Jordan. If they leave, you kind of know that the circus has left town for yeah, Arsenal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that you know, we, we sh- should be a little bit cautious that it's a bit like, okay, this sounds good, but let's see how it plays out. But personally, I'm enthused um, by by what I'm reading and what I'm seeing. Yeah, I mean, look, the proof of the pudding, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, uh, the, the, the work that they're doing behind the scenes to make those improvements, you know, it all depends then how good the, the coach is going to be. So mm-hmm. I think one of the, I think the big issue, and you've pointed this out before, it was the big games, the games that Arsenal were supposed yep. to win. Arsenal won. It was yep. the games against the the Man Cities and the Chelsea's, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which proved to be the most challenging. And that was a question that you put to Jonas Edeval. Um So, you know, is that something? Um, I'm not going to say if it ain't broke, don't fix it, kind of thing. Because a coach has mm. to come in and and implement his own style, his own way of working, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But he does have pretty solid foundations to build on. Absolutely. Like this squad doesn't need a lot doing to it. There are a couple of players who've left who need replacing. And uh, to be honest, the defence has got a lot of players in it, but there's not a lot of balance in there. But I I gather the defence will be added to and we'll probably find out about that officially very shortly. Um, But there's not a lot that needs doing to it. But Mm. what uh, I'm told and what he kind of says about his style is that there will be more of a focus on, on pressing. Um, which we didn't get as much um, under Joe. But the, the the question I asked him specifically was how to deal with when Man City and Chelsea put that high press, which, which Arsenal just haven't dealt with really in the last couple of years. And he spoke a lot about, um, you know, the positioning of the players and being much more methodical. Mm. You know, Joe played, um, you know, a very like, fluid total football style which was largely really really good but at the same time I think maybe when they came under pressure um, when you know players are rotating positions all the time you don't necessarily know where they are um, yeah. and I, I kind of asked you know, the, the question I put to him was do you think it's tactical technical mental or to do with positioning and he said positioning absolutely and he said my job is to is so that when those players receive the ball under pressure they know where their teammates are without looking that's that's how he wants to kind of get around that issue but he also wants to get them pressing a little bit more so maybe Mm. you know maybe if they're up against that in training um a bit more for example if they're pressing each other in training that that might help so again we'll we'll wait and see on that but um you know he he like i said i'm pretty certain that they would have been um interview questions put to him and and i can see why he impressed people with his answers uh, one of the other things that Vin I spoke about was playing some of the uh, women's games at the Emirates Stadium. I know that you've mm-hmm. um, t- uh, spoken about this before, and it's one of those things where, um, you know, playing at the Emirates is a great idea and it's a great way of getting more fans in to see the Arsenal women's team, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, uh, you know, they're kind of giving up home advantage in a way uh, because of where they normally play their home game. So have you got any info on that, some background yeah. on that a little bit and and what people can expect and, yeah. and what sort of, um, you know, how are the club going to attract people into these games? 
Yeah, absolutely. So why don't I give you a bit of an exclusive that hasn't been announced yet? But um, so you, you people will uh, be familiar with the fact that the men's team announced a couple of friendlies against Chelsea and Spurs on August the 1st and August the 8th. They will both be double headers with the women's team, I'm told. So mm. Arsenal women will play Chelsea women at the Emirates on the 1st of August and they will play away at Spurs on the 8th of August as part of a double header. Uh, and again, that should come out in the next few days or so. Um, so they're, they're, they're definitely thinking in that respect um, of, yeah, of having those kind of big friendlies at the Emirates. They definitely, definitely want to play games at the Emirates next season. They would have done it this season past were it not for COVID. Mm. And as much as they don't want to lose home advantage, I think there is a recognition that, look, you, you kind of just got to do this. And I think the attitude of players has maybe changed in the last few years. I think a few years ago, it was much more, no, we prefer to play at Boreham Wood. Whereas I think this generation of players are like, no, we, we want to, we want to play in the big stadium that's you know yeah that's really what we want so i think that that's kind of changed um and and i think for example the north london derby is is a is a great one because it doesn't matter if arsenal lose home advantage but um the, the other thing i'm told is if arsenal get through to the group stage of the champions league which is very far from a foregone conclusion because they have a tricky qualifying process that those games will be absolutely prime candidates to be played at the Emirates, not least because there are no logistical difficulties with the men's team mm. who aren't in Europe next year and yeah. therefore won't be playing in midweek. So those dates, um, you know, it, it won't be difficult um, for them to put those dates on. And, and they're really keen that if they get through the qualifiers, that some of those midweek group games will be great, not just to raise the profile. Of, I mean, it's a perfect storm of raising mm. the profile of the women's team. And, you know, Arsenal men are going to play far fewer games next season and so people who maybe miss a bit of midweek football um, maybe people in the area who are local who can't usually afford to go to the Emirates for some of those Premier League and and Champions League games you know it's it's a real perfect storm and I think they recognize it's a real opportunity and also in in the kind of post-Covid world as well where people I think in general are itching to get back in football stadiums and watch live, live football and that's why they're really keen to do these friendlies in August as well even though half the squad will be at the, the, the Olympics they know that people are itching to get back in that stadium um, and, and that's a great opportunity for the women as well. Yeah look you do have to you know build the next generation of fans and like you say there's lots of people who, who want to go but are maybe priced out and you know the, the continued growth of the women's game is, is a fantastic way to introduce people to Arsenal the club not just Arsenal the men's team so look it's exciting it, it feels like it's an exciting time for for Arsenal women we're waiting of course to see you know what's going to happen on the men's side of things but you know you must be looking forward to the new season starting yeah big time and um you know there's there's gonna it's one of those things it's been really quiet for the last couple of weeks or month or so but i've i've mm. known that loads of things are going to drop and they're all going <laughs> to drop at once and that's that's exactly what's happening um and and it is exciting of course it's exciting when you get a new manager and it's a new manager you don't really you know you're not as jaded in the women's game because you don't it's not like um i know we might talk about this later but it's not like rafa benitez going to everton and every, and like everton fans going oh god we've got history with him from like 15 <laughs> years ago and everyone knows how his teams play like it, it is a bit more of a mystery box in the women's game and yeah and and now the new managers there, like uh, you know starting to get information about some transfers that might drop and you know arsenal heavily linked with 
um, Nikita players like Nikita Paris, who um, I, I think that deal will get done and be announced shortly. You know, England international, someone who scores loads of goals in her career in her prime. So th- there is like th- there had been for the last month or so, it, it had been quite it had been a little bit down the atmosphere around Arsenal women fans and you know Ruby Mace going to Manchester City you know really bright young player going there that that hurt you know Daniel van der Donk going to Leon, yeah. really popular player that kind of hurt Leah Williamson only signing for a year kind of makes people ask questions but I, I think in the next kind of month or so I mean it's already kind of the mood anyway is looking up mm. and uh, I, I think in the next few weeks that will that will come to bear even more okay well hopefully that kind of thing can be replicated when it comes to the men's team this summer and look nothing really has happened yet there are some names that are being linked with us um the the left back from benfica nuno Tavares, albert Lokonga from anderlecht uh, you know it's interesting as well to see generally speaking the players that we are being linked with most heavily and and most credibly are all of a certain age bracket, which I mm-hmm. think is really interesting. Now, uh, how many of these deals we get done remains to be seen. How good the players are when they come in remains to be seen. But again, if you're looking for the people running the club to demonstrate that they have either learned some lessons or put in place a kind of strategy for this rebuild that we're going to undertake to make us better, to improve us, to improve the team, which is something that obviously is badly needed going into next season. This is another small thing. I know we haven't done any of those deals, and I know we haven't got rid of some of the players that we want to get rid of, and and everybody is going to be anxious and antsy and, and on edge until some of it happens one way or the other or both ways, you know, till the, uh, the, the, the indoor starts swinging and the departure lounge gets a little bit emptier. But when you're looking at those, those players, when you look at their ages, their profiles, et cetera, et cetera, it, it adds up, you know, the sums mm-hmm. add up to something that makes uh, a bit of sense that they've sat down and said, well, this is how we should do it. This is these are the, the 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 age profiles of the players we should go for. Let's go for them. That's another again small sign of encouragement. The proof will be next season, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if you're looking for them to behave and do things differently or in a way that is encouraging, that's it. No. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, in terms of the lessons learned part, I mean, better late than never. I don't think you should have to sign Willian on a three-year deal before realising that signing Willian on a three-year deal is a really bad idea or Cedric on a four-year deal. Like, the same way, like, I don't stick my hand in the oven when it's been on for 20 minutes to, like, decipher whether that's a good idea or not. But, (laughs) nevertheless... Once bitten, twice shy, and all of that. It does. It makes a lot more sense. And I mean, put it this way: last summer we were having the debate: should we be giving Willian a three-year deal? Should we be giving Abamyang a three-year deal? This summer, it's is that twenty-three-year-old England centre-back worth fifty million? Mm. That's um, and you know, I, I, I'll. I still kind of, I guess, have some... I'm not furious about it. I don't really know, but I have maybe some doubts over that. But I'd much rather have that debate <laughs> than the debates we were having last summer. I'd much rather to be, be debating, well, we've got... Why are we buying the 23-year-old when we've got the 20-year-old? You know, that that mm. is much more the, the sort of debate we should be getting into um, as Arsenal fans. And, and you know, I, 
I've said before, like, I'm not sure how much I'd bother with a with a backup left back because it just seems so impossible. But Tavares, if we get that done at the price, we, that, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. Yes, tick. And actually, that, that to me looked like possibly the most difficult thing to do this summer. Um, maybe not the most expensive, but the most difficult and uh, kind of tied that, seemed to have tied that up quite nicely. Um and and even um, look, I, I really like the link with Lokonga, and the reason I really like it is because it almost not that it doesn't matter. If you told me, like at the price we're supposed to be getting him, that he's the replacement for El Nenny, I'd say yeah, fine, mm. okay, twenty one backup. Maybe in the future he'll he'll be um, more than a backup. But if not, great, we got El Nenny for ten million. Um, five years later, we're you know getting the new El Nenny for twelve. Fine, absolutely fine, and he's twenty one and mm. and everything. If you told me they think actually we think more of this guy, we think in a year or two he'll be the new Xhaka, even better. But even if he's just that backup, I I think that that's just a move to me that's like yep that that makes absolute sense. Kind of whatever happens there is fine. Um, and and so I I am I, I am really enthused um, by by some of these and and at least like you can follow the thinking yeah. and again even if you're not as they seem to be going for Premier League experience as well I mean I'm maybe not as fussed about that but then again you look at Gabriel and Party last year our two big signings probably had a transition year last year and Arsenal mm. might be looking at that and say we don't want any more transition years actually we need to make this year count. So I, I kind of get it, but at least you can follow the thinking and it's not as a lot of the thinking recently seems to have been, been let's get in some 30 year olds um, and actually everything good about Arsenal has been like the 19, 20 year olds. Yeah. And that they seem to have realized, even if it is a bit later than they should have, that, that it, you can follow the strategy. You can you can disagree with it if you like, but at least there's one there. Yeah, it's it's joined up thinking is the phrase I was you know, trying to come to uh, a bit earlier on. So, you know, we, we have to wait and see how it all plays out. But if you are looking for them, as you say, to learn from mistakes, et cetera, et cetera, um, this seems to be the, the kind of approach. I think if you ask people, what is the approach that you would like Arsenal to take this summer? Is it to bring in more experienced, grizzled veterans, you know, to, to get us to sixth or whatever it might be? Or is it to lower the age profile and bring in some players around the 22 23 24 bracket maybe a couple of them are a bit younger but that's kind of your the upper end of your your age curve is that 24 uh you know to to bring in players who could potentially be at the club for five six seven years you know yeah that, that, and that way yeah. you either get if if they don't work you get some resale value mm. like if, if Tavares doesn't work yeah and we have to sell him kind of fine like that that that's not really a problem but even if they don't and we have them for five or six years like you look at um Xhaka for example and I guess this is the way I've come around to thinking about Ben White if we look at Xhaka very very mixed opinions of him very mm. mixed performances very kind of I guess divisive player yeah but nobody really argues about the 35 million we spent on him because he's been a starter for what four and a half seasons five seasons yeah so Whatever you think of him, he hasn't been sat on the bench or in the reserves or paid to go away. He is he's he's done a thing. He's he's functioned. Lacazette the same. We paid fifty million for him. Not sure he was really worth that, but we're not sat here debating it because he's been a first team player. And and that's kind of the way I'm looking at this is when you buy at that age, you either get your first team player and they maybe amortize off your books, or if they don't work, you can you can probably turn them around. Mm. 
no Arsenal podcast is uh, complete these days without a William Saliba conversation. So let's just have a very quick one here. Um, there was a story this week that he turned down a a move to Wren um, because apparently last season they wanted to sign him on loan and left him hanging and hanging and then just didn't come back. Uh, and it turned out that that might have been a contributory factor in him not going on loan um, at, the, at the end of the transfer window last summer. Now, look, Arsenal, I've got their own part to to play in that, but it does feel like pretty much everything that goes on with this kid is some kind of, it's like an episode of a soap opera. <laughs> week yeah. after week, there's something new and different. But like, you know, I, I really, you know, I... I get it when people are, are cynical about us or uh, us as a football club and the way we operate. I completely get it. I understand mm. it. We do things and have done things which are basically indefensible, stupid and, and what have you. But I always found that Saliba story that we couldn't get the paperwork completed in time quite weird Right, yep. that like I know we may have had our taken our eye off the ball. I know we had to deal with the departure of the head of football and all that kind of stuff. But literally, how long does it take to do the paperwork for a guy to go on loan? You know, if you can get transfers done on deadline day with like six minutes to go by sending through a fax of a fucking napkin to the Premier League and saying we like this, you know, do it. You know, th- surely there must have been a way of doing it. So it does make a little bit of sense that there was a complication at the eleven or the 11 and a half uh, hour. Yeah, absolutely. It, it has always felt like, and it still feels like, to be honest, that there is information missing um, around the William Saliba thing, whether it's about the original transfer, mm. whether it's to do with his relationship or lack of one with Mikel Arteta, and we can only speculate. And, and obviously, you know, when you've got a void, you get speculation. And when we all begin to speculate more and more. It, it's really good speculation. Like our instincts are to think that something bad is going on. And, and I think that's, that's kind of understandable. Um, but, but I, I'm with you on that. Like that, that did strike me as, you know, I mean, literally you'd have to forget, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, for that to happen. Yeah, and I'm pretty exactly. sure that even if we were stupid enough to forget this player existed, that his agent wouldn't allow us to forget and say, Oh, by the way, I know you guys have got a lot on, but, um, yeah, my, my guy said, Oh fuck. Yeah. We've selected. Oh, sorry. Shit, yeah. Fuck. Completely sorry forgot he existed. One, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it does. It's, still feels like there is there is um there's a story to be told here possibly in the form of a six-part netflix series <laughs> yeah it wouldn't surprise me to be honest apparently his agent was at uh, london colney or or highbury house this week to discuss matters with with edu so we'll have to wait and see what happens with him but you know he is apparently going to the olympics so that you know, it's a bit of a complication, obviously, for preseason if he's going to be away with the Olympics. I did see a story today that the squads for the Olympic uh, football teams have been extended. Yes. Do you have any concerns that this might then impact Gabriel Martinelli, who wasn't originally picked in the Brazil squad? Is that the kind of thing where they'll go back and say, Ah, come on now. Yeah, we've got a place for you now. And the player's like, well, <laughs> fuck you. You didn't want me in the first place. Or do they kind of go, well, it might be a bit awkward. Maybe we'll ask somebody else. Or, you know, either I, way. 
I tend to think that that they won't call him up. I mean, the, the CVF are, are incredibly disorganised about this type of thing. And actually, this is the type of thing Edu used to deal with, and he was actually quite good at it. Mm. Um, I guess the thing they got, the, one of the reasons I was really surprised he was left out, um, not just because he's really good, and, and that Brazil Olympic squad, by the way, does have some really good attackers in it. Um, mm. So it's not an absolute travesty, but... Um, one of the reasons I was surprised is the guy who replaced Edu um, is uh, Janinho, Janinho Paulista, who used to play for Middlesbrough. And he um, basically runs Ituano, who is the club we bought Gabriel Martinelli from. Um, and so it, so he knows Martinelli very, very well. And so and that, that's one of the reasons I was surprised. But with Brazil, Brazil take the Olympics quite seriously. Um, they won the gold medal for the first time in 2016. And any competition where they compete against European opposition, they will take very seriously. Mm. They tried to call up Neymar for this because you're allowed um, an allowance of over 23 players. <laughs> they tried to call up Neymar, PSG, and PSG yeah. said no. They tried to call up Marquinhos, PSG said no. Um, they tried to call up a number of quite senior players whose whose clubs knocked them back. Eventually, they called up Dani Alves, who's 37, 38 maybe, um, because Dani Alves plays for Sao Paulo and it's it's a little bit easier, I think, to convince some Brazilian clubs. Albeit, as well as the squads being expanded, the CBF are in a bit of a fight with uh, Flamengo at the moment because they called up a striker called Pedro and Flamengo have basically said, we're not releasing him. Um, and they're, they're still working that situation out. So they might become light an attacker anyway. Um, if that happens and there are an additional four places, you'd have to think that Martinelli would certainly be a candidate. But mm. I don't know at this stage to what extent Arsenal would say, do you know what? It's been two weeks now. He's been, you know, on holiday in Sao Paulo, um, you know, w- with his family. Um, he's he's not really in a condition to, to go back and start training and competing again. So I think they'll look to the Brazilian league because the Brazilian league's going on at the moment and therefore right. the players are a bit more highly tuned. Gabriel, though, Gabriel Magalhaes is going, though. So that, that presents us with a bit of a, a difficulty in terms of, you know, the start to our own season if he is going to be a key part of the defence next season. Although, you know, it, it is... Probably uh, the Olympics finishes, what, about the 8th? If I think it's the 5th. Well, the women's final's the 5th of August. Right. So I don't know. The men's final's probably a day or two after. Right. Okay. So, look, it is the, the start of August and the season starts on the... Is it the 12th or the 14th? What date is... Um, 13th. We're Friday, 13th. Friday the 13th. Friday 13th. How did I forget that? Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So, like... You know, you might say if he hasn't been here with preseason, it could be a problem with fitness, but it isn't like the old days. I mean, he is going to be away. He's going to be training. So it's not a case that he's going to have to go on his holidays for a few weeks. You know, when, when the Olympics ends, he should be back pretty sharpish. Yeah. And essentially, I mean, they, so they they haven't the difficulty, I think, is not so much the, the or July, August part of it. It's the kind of now part of it. They have played a couple of warm up games in June. And then, as I understand, it had a couple of weeks off and then they'll join up. So effectively, what he'll be doing now is, is kind of preseason mm. almost. So he'll he'll join up with Brazil at a very similar time to um, the time that the Arsenal players will join up uh, for training next week. It, it's more that he hasn't had that time off really yet because Brazil played a couple of warm-up games. Mm. I, I think that's maybe more. And obviously as well, he's going to be in a bubble in Tokyo and... 
um, you know, flying back and readjusting the body clock and, and everything like that. Although I did see on his Instagram, actually, Gabriel, he's he's been in um, an absolutely wonderful part of the northeast of Brazil, um, sunning himself on a beach. So I, I think he has had, uh, you know, he's had an opportunity to avail himself of um, of uh, some of the <laughs> some of the nicer kind of. Uh, natural elements of his homeland and get a little bit of sunshine and and, and beach so you know i think he has had a, a bit of a holiday so yeah. i broadly I, I think he'll be fine he might miss the first two games yeah. um, or something but i'm sure pablo mari can can handle can handle that yeah i've got a bit of holiday envy looking at footballers instagrams over the last week or so even if some of them like reese nelson and joe willock appear to be just sort of running up mountains and you know trying to run against gigantic elastic bands and stuff like that but at the same time they're in in greece somewhere where the sea is gorgeous and you know uh, it's it's a weird time obviously you know for travel and that kind of stuff so you know good luck to them i have to live vicariously through them in my back in my back garden whenever the sun comes out uh, so uh, a couple of uh, other quick things just to sort of finish us off here. One is a story about Reese Nelson where he has been offered a new contract before being sent out on loan. He has uh, two years left, I think, on his current Arsenal deal. Why on earth would Arsenal offer him a new contract? And why would he sign it? The second question is the key one there. I can un- I can perfectly understand why Arsenal would offer him one uh, to protect the value of the player, maybe send him out on loan um, for a year. And, and by all accounts, they wanted to send him out on loan this year. Mm. Um, and it seems like, I mean, he made a bit of a mistake not taking them up on that. Um, uh, why he would sign that, I, I don't know. I guess... The, the only way I'd maybe look at it is I think the way the market is at the moment, there are a lot of, um, there, I think there are going to be a lot of deals where it's kind of loan with obligation to buy because clubs don't want to pay this summer, they but they want to pay next summer. Get some money back um, in when the fans are in stadiums and you're generating exactly. revenue again, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So maybe um, it would be beneficial for him to go on loan next year, keep the salary he currently has, maybe protect that value a little bit mm. um but and and then kind of look at a move which which would certainly be better for arsenal they might make the case it would be better for him as well albeit he might say well no because i'll be further down my contract the, the other thing from arsenal is you know you don't protect the value of a player by putting his salary up um if you know let's say he's on 40 grand a week at the moment i don't know that he is but yeah. just to pluck a, a number out of the air and they extend his contract he's going to want a bigger contract so if he becomes a 70 or 80 thousand pounds a week player that would impact his value in the market anyway so mm. I, i'm not that sure about that but I, I think i suspect there are probably some technicalities here like um i believe when you lose a player under 24 there's some kind of tribunal fee um, that you get or something like that. I, I don't think they're entirely free agents until they're 24. Because they, they offered the same to Eddie Nketiah, didn't they? Yeah. And that makes me think that there's some kind of legal small print loophole that they're thinking of here where they've offered Nketiah and Nelson, clearly two players they don't want in the long-term one-year mm. deals um, so to, to protect their value. But I have to say off the top of my head, I don't see what the players themselves get out of those. Yeah, look, I mean, I think Arsenal's, uh, what they think of 
Reese Nelson. I'm, I don't mean to say that they think poorly of him or any, you know, as a person or what have you, but just he didn't play. He's mm. wasted a year of his career. So it seems pretty obvious that for all concerned, the best thing for him, you know, really is to move on and find somewhere else to play his football. And, you know, with two years left on his deal, you're, you're, the value is, I guess, relatively protected as it is. I suppose the benefit yeah. to Arsenal would be if he went somewhere on loan with an extension on his contract and played quite well, maybe there'd be more people interested in buying him than after a season where, you know, he got about four minutes or something. You Definitely. Know? And this is something, this is a policy Chelsea have is is not to sell players at the bottom of their value. So um, even a player like Tammy Abraham, um, he had a couple of loan spells that didn't really go his way. And what they do with players like this is they basically keep sending them on loan until they have like, I guess what we could call the Joe Willock season <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> out on loan. So, uh, you know, wait, don't, don't send, don't sell someone after an underwhelming loan spell where they haven't played, wait until they have the good loan spell and then sell them. Um, so uh, again, that all makes perfect sense for Arsenal. Um, not sure it would make an awful lot of sense for Reese Nelson, albeit if Arsenal say, look, if you back yourself, go on loan, have a brilliant season out on loan, and then you will get the team and the contract that you want. Yeah, fair enough. We'll wait and see what happens there. Just some a couple of quick wider football things. I'm just looking at uh, Twitter while we were talking, and apparently Manchester United are close to signing Rafael Varane from... Uh, from Real Madrid, as well as uh, doing a deal today for Jaden Sancho. So uh, those guys are doing some shit, uh, which is going to make <laughs> catching up to them uh, even more difficult. But sort of around us have been a couple of appointments. Um, Nuno Espirito Santo is the new Tottenham manager. Does that give you any heart palpitations? I mean, I certainly feel like uh, I'd rather that than Antonio Conte. Yeah, yeah. I, I still, I'm still upset that Gattuso fell through. Um, I know, yeah, it would have been personally. amazing. Um, but I mean, maybe famous last words. No, I'm not. You know, look, we're in the same area of the league as Tottenham and have been for some time. So obviously, as well as the rivalry, they are an immediate competitor. Mm. It, it, it doesn't worry me too much no and you can see by the process that he is very far from their first choice and probably for good reason I, I think what's interesting about it though is as much as and I said it myself um, at the end of last season that I thought Arteta should go albeit again I wasn't absolutely adamant about that I just kind of thought mm, I don't think this is going to work like I'm not absolutely demanding you must sack him now but I, I just can't see it working maybe that position softened um away from the kind of emotional end of last season but I, I guess one of the reasons that maybe Arteta has kept his job is look at who the guys around us are appointing yeah. at the moment and actually there isn't much managerial movement at the moment even during last season you know the COVID season th there weren't nearly as many managerial moves and that's probably down to COVID and people not wanting to pay compensation they've only given new, and there's much shorter contracts um, for managers now I think they've only given Nuno two years even Chelsea only gave Tuchel 18 months and, and Tuchel's good and they knew he was good yeah, yeah. so there's, there's a lot more caution and, and I guess the way Arsenal would look at it is I mean Arsenal dropped the ball some years ago when maybe they could have got a Klopp or a Guardiola which they definitely can't now and, and maybe that factored into their decision to kind of stick with Arteta in the kind of well if we sack him do we get Nuno in? Do yeah. we get Rafa Benitez in? Like the managerial market 
is not fantastic at the moment. And as much as um, people are laughing at Everton and Spurs, and let's face it, that's always good fun, particularly with Spurs. Mm. Like, I don't think they're being absolute idiots with their process. Like, they're trying to appoint managers. It's just there are more teams that want elite managers than there are elite managers. I think yeah. it's just a supply-demand issue. And and maybe that's why Arsenal decided, mm, well, we'll just hold on to Mikel for a little while until... I mean, I mean even the process at which Arsenal arrived at Arteta... Um, was a bit hmm, there's not an awful lot out there so it's a bit more justified to take that gamble um, when you know you're not exactly got people knocking your door down so yeah it, it, it says something I think about the managerial market and and what will be really interesting to me is what happens once Klopp and Guardiola are gone and Liverpool and Manchester City start to get sucked into that a bit because even Manchester United they have Solskjaer who is not I don't think an elite coach um, he's not an idiot, but he's not an elite coach. Really, it's only Liverpool and Man City, I think, arguably even in Europe, that have like absolutely elite managers and Conte's out there. Um, there's there's just not a great deal out there, and certainly not for you know, should we say, a second tier kind of mm. club in in European terms. Yeah, I mean, look, United are obviously trying to offset some of Solskjaer's whatever by bringing in really brilliant players <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um so we'll we'll wait and see what happens there rafa benitez um yeah and just sort of going back like at the arteta appointment it was arteta or ancelotti wasn't it that was the thing yeah. like i mean we could be in a situation now where ancelotti has just gone well thanks guys i'm going back to madrid and it was like but well, we wanted you to do the thing nah it's good i'm going back to madrid so you know it, it, it was I, I see what you're saying in that sense benitez to everton I kind of have a real grudging respect for how little of a fuck Rafa Benitez <laughs> gives about what anyone thinks about him. I I absolutely adore Rafa Benitez and have for quite a long time. <laughs> I've never been certain that I want him to manage Arsenal, although there was a point where I thought, mm, we could do worse. Yeah. But but I, I love the way, like, he... He gets revenge the way you should get revenge. Like he he understands that revenge is a dish best served cold. It's very mm. ah, you don't like me. I will come and manage your football club. I will make them play horrible football. <laughs> I will be good and you will hate it. And that that is just absolutely wonderful. I think Rafa Benitez has missed his calling and should be in WWE. Um, <laughs> I think he'd just make a wonderful WWE villain. And, and it's just, he, he's got that perfect, like, he's not a cartoon villain. Like, you know, well, people call Mourinho a cartoon villain. He's not a cartoon villain. He's just a prick. Like, I don't think Benitez is a prick, but I think he's got wonderful, like, slightly prickish qualities. Yeah. Um, which I absolutely love. And I love it when he's in the Premier League because I just think that, you know, in, in terms of quote-unquote entertainment, I mean, his football teams aren't that entertaining. Um, they're, they're usually pretty decent and they're they're very difficult to play, but it's not necessarily football you want to watch. But I, I think he is fantastic value. I really, really like him. And, I, I, and um, I, I'm so glad he didn't go to Spurs, put it that way. Yeah, I would rather him... Uh, not be there. That's very true. I mean, what do you think the Everton fans are going to to make of him? I mean, if he wins a, a Merseyside derby at Anfield, you know, and and I this is the will. it's the kind of thing he does, right? It's like he went to Chelsea on that temporary basis, and like Chelsea fans, 
like they hated him because of that yeah. rivalry with Liverpool and Chelsea, you know, those Champions League games, Mourinho, all of that kind of stuff. And he went to Chelsea. Did he win the Europa League for them? Yep. Yeah. It's yep. like, fuck you. Here's a trophy. Fuck yep. you. Here's some success. You know, and it's like, oh, God, well, how can it's like when a really hated player comes along? But I mean, you know, you can understand why if you're an Everton fan and, and we know that the the rivalries and the tribalism that exists within those very specific local um, areas, so Liverpool, Everton, United City, Arsenal, Tottenham, etc., etc., you know, they're very intense. You know, the idea, yeah. I mean, I, I shudder to think what social media, uh, what it would have been like when George Graham went to manage yep. Tottenham. It's like, what the fuck? I mean, it, I remember thinking, what the fuck at the time? But yeah. that was kind of it, because I really didn't have anyone to talk to about it 24-7, you know, on my phone, which didn't exist back then. But you know what I mean? Imagine yeah, yeah. imagine how that would have gone back then. But, you know, there is going to be a lot for him to deal with. <laughs> yeah, know? absolutely. And, and look, you can understand it as much as um, there's a big part of me that just thinks, you know, maybe you should grow up. Like, he's actually a really good manager and he, he'll probably do well, like, regardless of what football you want to play. Like, I, I think he'll be decent there. But mm. at the same time, like, you can under it, it, It's kind of... Imagine Harry Redknapp came to manage Arsenal. Like, <laughs> I... I wouldn't. I would not be sitting there going, "I'll grow up." It'll probably be quite good. Like you can't. You can't just take. Like, no, I'm, I'm not a fan of telling off, fans yeah. how they should feel about yeah. their own clubs, anyway. Um, but like, I, I get it. I completely get it. If I was an Everton fan, I'd think, "Oh, Jesus! Like, <laughs> how how is this going to go?" Particularly when it's a manager that that does play that kind of football, and obviously they they had Sam Allardyce, um, and you know didn't respond to him at all which I, I think is fantastic credit in the Everton fan back I, I like Everton fans I quite like Everton and and their kind of complete disdain for Sam Allardyce made me think yep I've judged these people right they're they're my mm. kind of people um so so I I really I get it I really really do I do think he'll make them quite competitive not not so, I, I think he'll be better than Ancelotti. I, I don't think it will be. I do think Everton are, are just stuck in a bit of a kind of vortex, um, really, about what their ceiling is. And, and they don't, as much as they've splashed some money around, they don't really seem to have much of a plan for how to spend it. And they mm. lurch between player types and lurch between different types of manager. And I do have some sympathy because of everything I just said about the manager market. But they... It, it's it's kind of it's just it must be so frustrating being an Everton fan and thinking if we have an amazing season we can finish sixth and that's kind of it and um it, like even as an Arsenal fan at the moment I I struggle to see us finishing much higher than that but at least we might fluke an FA Cup or something because mm. we I I do think that history counts for something in in those kind of scenario like I, I just don't think it's a coincidence that Arsenal even when even though they've been a bit terrible have have managed to win some FA Cups recently just because they're Arsenal and Arsenal do that um, and Arsenal don't win in Europe and therefore we have kind of the opposite problem there whereas Liverpool do so I do think the history you know and uh, the, the famous history of the Tottenham um, <laughs> I, I do think these things count a little bit and I do think that counts a little bit against Everton I think what will be really interesting for them is not so much 
how far can Benitez get them up the league. But I do wonder whether he can win them a trophy because I do think that under him they could play the sort of football that might get you an FA Cup mm. um, or a League Cup or something like that. And, and you know, it's been a long time since Everton have done that. So it would be really interesting to see yeah. how they reacted. I, I think that they wouldn't care that much about the Benitez factor if they did that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you can compromise your principles for football pretty easily uh, when the results and the goals are flying in and and the trophies being lifted, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, look, an interesting sidebar to what's going to happen next season, you know, particularly as Everton are one of the teams, I suppose, that we are looking, you know, more or less that we're going to have to compete with uh, to to push our way towards that top six and hopefully top four. But uh, that feels a little bit like jumping the gun at this point. Uh, It's up to Arsenal to, you know, start doing the transfers and all that kind of stuff. Look, we leave it there as ever, Tim. Thanks a million. Great to talk to you. My pleasure as always. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Thank you very much indeed to Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto, at Stilberto. And of course, he writes a column every week for Arsblog, as well as covering the Arsenal women for Arsblog News. Right. Let's not drag this one out too long. There is going to be more stuff happening in the coming weeks, of course, and plenty more to discuss. Preseason is starting soon. We are definitely 100% going to be making some transfers, so we'll have those to talk about. Hopefully, we can find some new homes for players we no longer want. All of that kind of stuff we will cover on the podcast on Patreon as well, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. If you want to get ad-free podcasts, ad-free apps, uh, free audio book, etc., etc., Discord chat, you can sign up there. Your support would be greatly appreciated. No pressure. If not, though, don't worry about it. We are keeping to the same schedule throughout the summer, though. Uh, Regular Mondays and Fridays. On Monday, James and myself will be here with an Arsecast Exer, so please join us for that. Enjoy the football over the weekend, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye.
Hi, we're doing a survey. What's the best thing about being a football fan? Oh, uh, I would say going to the games with my friends and just having a great day out, you know? What's the best thing about being a football fan? I gotta say it's when you win a big game, you know? Local derby, bragging rights, that kind of thing. What's the best thing about being a football fan? Jesus, there's so many things you could choose from, like, it's hard, but I would say a last-minute winner has got to be the top of the charts there. Who couldn't enjoy that? What is the best thing about being a football fan? Well, I'm glad you asked me that, because the answer is simple. The best thing about being a football fan is seeing a child distraught, crying inside a stadium at a game I'm not attending, then pausing my skybox, taking a picture of the child with my smartphone, and then posting it to my Twitter so I can mock that child publicly and get likes from complete strangers. It is the very essence of the game. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.